Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So we definitely messed up the last introduction. This is the Blood Origins Roundup. Did you even introduce yourself the last time? Did you introduce yourself? Well, because you're so fucking famous, you don't have to introduce yourself. <laughs> Legitimately, do I have to introduce myself? My name's Robbie Kroger. Built Blood Origins four years ago. Here I am today. I don't need an introduction. <laughs> not that people, not that people know me without it. I just don't care if they know who I am. I think keeping you mysterious will add exactly. to the. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Something really verbose. We'll add to the... Well, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? The atmosphere of the podcast. I agree. All right. So we've got a bunch of topics, man. You, you went to town Yeah, I got this carried week. away. Man, it ranges from Mexican wolves to... Our favorite author in the whole wide world, Chris Cyril Christo, to some Africa stuff. Um, second greatest take on Colorado's wolf reintroduction. Why don't we start there? Did you just add that? Yeah. Are you okay with, did you read it? No, because I think you just added it. If you were to read it, you'd find out who helped them understand and came to the classroom to help with the presentations. The Defenders of Wildlife. Oh, wow. And they concluded that what? Uh, that you should be big and that you should train your cows to stand still because wolves don't like to kill a cow that's not running away from it. No, they didn't. Swear to God, they had, they had uh, second and third graders doing a presentation on it, as well as red lasers, that ranchers should have red lasers going off in their fields. Like, is there, the, no, is there no, like, someone checking what they're saying? It was the Defenders of Wildlife. Why wouldn't you bring Defenders of Wildlife to come play with a bunch of second graders? 
You know, it's something. It's not all. There was a there was a Colorado State. There were some Colorado State University people there, but red lasers and sirens in the cattle fields, and train your cattle. I swear to God, it says train your cattle to stand still because the wolves won't attack them. Uh, see someone from uh, Colorado State University Center for Human Carnivore Coexistence, a professor in the Wildlife Department, Fish and Wildlife Conservation Biology Department. Wolves are symbols of much deeper issues, conflict, and unresolved societal debates. Some of those attitudes and values are formed early in age. Well, they certainly would be formed early in age with the defenders of wildlife, given presentations like that. I was asked to go and give a presentation once to a third grade class. I was telling them about like how elephants are left tusked and right tusked and uh, pythons and the difference between alligators and crocodiles. And they still do that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, left tusk, right tusk, elephants. That's a big part of education now. Actually, I, that was one of my favorite things to tell my applied aquatic and terrestrial ecology class was. Uh, asking them if if elephants are left-handed or right-handed, or as they say, well, Dr. Kroger, the elephants don't have hands. Okay, are they left-tusked or right-tusked? So, Cody, are elephants left-tusked or right-tusked? Left. The vast majority of elephants, it's unknown. But, <laughs> but there are. Uh, it just like humans, there is a dominant side to an elephant, and you can tell it by the tusk wear that they just enjoy using one side over the other when it comes to stripping bark, breaking trees, that kind of stuff. So now you know. And I had a whole series of pictures where people were like, I said, is this a left handed or right handed? And they were like, left. Or left tusk right. and right tusk. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I've also heard of HSUS sending DVDs to schools such that when it's a rainy day or a substitute teacher comes into the class, that they just pop in those DVDs, right? They, and they're, they're handy because they're right there and the kids, you know, it's easy to entertain them. And it's just... Uh, it's a crazy propaganda machine. It's a crazy propaganda machine. It's uh, All right. backed by the weight of Disney. Backed by the weight of Disney. All right. Um, I'm going to hold on the Arizona trail camera because I just don't think I, I need another couple of minutes to get my head into Arizona trail cameras again since I've been literally neck deep in it for the last three days um how about we change even continents and go to this thing that nobody's heard about which is the kangaroo protection act that's making its way through washington dc right now yeah absolutely you were blown away by the fact that there is actually an act and surprise, surprise is being brought forward by a Democratic uh, representative out of California. Makes complete sense because California obviously is wanting to ban everything associated with hunting and fishing and, and sustainable use. They actually went after the alligator industry, forcing the high-end fashion brands on Rodeo Drive to stop using crocodile and alligator products in their wristwatches and whatnots. And uh, they actually won done that. that with They've done that with kangaroo as well. In California. California. Correct. Yes, yes, correct. Correct. And so the whole thing here is actually tied to the use of kangaroo leather. And it's the Kangaroo Protection Act is going through U.S. Congress right now. And the Democrat uh, Salud Carbajal and uh, Brian Fitzpatrick introduce these two bills and really what it it, it it amounts to is a a covering over of this idea that you know kangaroos are this icon species uh we don't want to trade in them because uh, they should have rights uh 
um, their populations are in disrepair. If we allow this kind of trade, the populations are going to be wiped out. None of that's true. Hold on. But re so really quickly, I, I did a decent amount of research on this. Um, do they claim anywhere that it's about populations? Like, is anyone claiming anywhere that the kangaroo population is in any, any state of disrepair? I could not find anything. Now, obviously, I found some geographical areas where there was some decline, but the general kangaroo population in Australia is on a long-term steady uptick. Correct. Yeah, so I don't believe you're correct. You're, the, the reason for the act is not a population threat. Um, they do talk about... Um, obviously the inhumaneness kind of deal because a lot of these guys uh, use clean headshots which makes sense because it's a leather industry that they're utilizing and um, it's all tied to the leather industry really and the leather industry specifically with shoes New Balance, Adidas utilizing the leather from kangaroos in their, in their products I saw a couple, I read a couple, I try very, very hard. Like I, I know no one that, that doesn't like me will accept this as fact, but I try very hard to get the basis and understand the basis of both sides of an argument. If I could find one thing about this that I saw that made me go, huh, we should think about this for a second. It is a large-scale commercial harvest of wild game. That's Correct. a that's a fact. Correct. Um, and it's you know a million and a half to two million a year. I, I believe that that's a that's a fair number. So that's a large-scale harvest of America. Did a very good job of proving that can be a bad idea if it's not regulated. But it seems like it seems like just a shot in the dark attack. Why do these U.S. legislators keep thinking that we needed to get in? Now, no one's coming out and saying we shouldn't use any animal resources at all, right? Like if he, if if this was a bill to ban natural leather across the board. Because they didn't want any more animals killed for the purpose of using their hides. I can live with that. I can live with a person having that opinion. I can live with that bill. That's ridiculous. And it wouldn't work. But I can live with that thought process of I don't think any animal should be used for hides. They just went out and picked a social justice cause to get behind and kangaroos are cute in their mind because their babies crawl in a pouch and they hop. That's what's happening here. Um, the population numbers are totally growing. There's articles all over Australian government sites trying to persuade people to start eating kangaroos, right. telling them the health benefits and great recipes because they're trying to get people to harvest kangaroos. Um, and some guy who is whatever, 10,000 miles away in California has nothing better to do than adopt a social justice topic um, to look like he's accomplishing things in his legislator. That, as a legislator, that's all this is in my opinion. Yeah, he's definitely utilizing things that are you could call inflammatory, uh, maybe inflammatory is a bit too big of a term that will catch the eye of people, right? He uses terminology that like, you know, the largest commercial slaughter of land-based wildlife in the world of about 2 million animals. Well, they don't mention how many kangaroos there are in Australia. I think, what did you say? 27 million, I think is the number of 27 to 30 million, probably. 
27 to 30 million. So you're talking in this situation, you're talking about, you know, what, what 5%, 5, 5 to 7%. Um, and year after year after year of growth in the population while this is happening. I mean, this is happening right now, this, the, the use of, of kangaroo leather in shoes. Um, like I, I, Robbie, I'd love to look at this guy and say, why didn't you take on feral hogs in the United States? Right? right. Like, why didn't you mind your damn business, stay in your own country and take on feral hogs who a whole bunch of are probably being wasted. Right. Like, well, it's so interesting like, that you say that because it's obviously that this guy's got an issue with the use of the skin, right? Feral hogs, nobody uses the skin. And so it, it's this interesting you dichotomy. Away, which is worse? Yeah, what is worse? You, you throw the hide away, which is worse. That, that's worse. It's worse what we're doing to feral hogs. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I shoot hogs. I'm in favor of what we're doing to feral hogs. But, but utilize the kangaroo more. Yeah. It's, it's I'll, I'll never understand the logic on this is what U.S. legislators should be doing is affecting. And again, again, if, if he said no natural leather anymore, none of our shoes can come from pig hide or snake hide or cow hide or any kind of hide, no natural leather. That's an opinion that I can respectfully have a debate with a person about. This guy's a social justice warrior who has no idea and no place to do the things that he's doing that are going to affect um, another country in the way that he is. And he does no, there's no basis for it. Well, he just, and again, the, the last bit of language that he uses is I proudly stand against kangaroo trafficking, which is poaching, okay, and poaching on the illegal trade, which is not part of this legal commercial side of things. And then he says to introduce the act to make it illegal to exploit kangaroos. And it's, it's essentially the same language that the state of Connecticut is trying for African trophies for taxidermy. It's the same language for the Cecil Act that's trying to make its way through Congress or hasn't done anything yet, but is sitting in D.C. It's to your point. We have people in America that feel like for some reason they know better of how to use other countries' resources and are going to promote an eco-colonialist agenda to, to almost sanction those, the use of that resource. They're putting an economic constraint on another country. I totally, totally, totally agree with you, but I still want to add on. All of the African examples, you can find data. It may be skewed data. It may be wrong, and I may not agree with it, but you can find data about those populations being in peril, right? We, we can go out and find a piece of paper that tells us that, that lion populations are in decline, and it's because of hunting. It's not true, but the data is there. Zero data in the world is saying that kangaroo populations are in trouble. And in fact, the Australian government is trying to find ways to coax people to eat more kangaroos because they have too many kangaroos, right? This, is, th this guy doesn't come up with any justification for this other than, I, I love the, let's make it illegal so we'll stop legal trade. To me, that's the, you know, like, yeah, just like we did when we made marijuana legal in the United States, right? Just shut her down. Nobody's going to do it anymore. All you're going to do is take a viable white market and make it a black market. That's what you would accomplish. Mm -hmm. An uncontrolled, unregulated market. These are the ones that really, really, really frustrate me. I genuinely think the people in Connecticut there with their bill I think that there's a bunch of people involved in the Connecticut ban on African imports. I think the majority of those people think they're doing a good thing. I actually do. I, I think they think this is what we need to do. They're just misinformed and they're wrong, 
but I think they're good. This guy's got no justification. He's got no, no data, no anything that this is a thing that will be good for anyone. It will destroy some economies, some small micro economies, um, and, and lead to there being more of an animal that there needs to be less of in those areas. It doesn't make any sense. So, All right, we've, uh, we've beaten a, a kangaroo to death. All right, moving on. We're going to move on to your top, top, one to, top desire to discuss today. And there was an article that came out by Nicole Qualiteri uh, through Gear Junkie in which Hunter declined, the, the, the title of the article was The Hunter Decline Myth. Habitat not hunting is at risk. And just a quick synopsis of the article. She, she poses some very interesting data, which looks at the amount of hunters per capita over time and suggests that the numbers are not going down and it's, they, sorry, they are staying pretty steady. But that is not, but the fact that we have latched onto those numbers and used it as our champion stick is not as damning as the, the habitat loss that is occurring across the nation. And tying those things together. So I dove off into this a little bit and I don't really like, I, I've got zero judgment of her article. I mean, in the sense of, it's not like I was inflamed by anything she said or riled up. Like I'm, I'm coming at you multifaceted on this one. All right. First of all, there's zero doubt that it, there's been, there's habitat loss, right? There's wildlife habitat loss every single day at a city break. One fact that I look up here, let, let's play a quick guessing game for a number that I don't, I know you don't have in your head. How many unoccupied houses do you think there are in the United States? You know that fact or you went and looked, looked it up? No, I looked, I went and looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, Seven people know this without looking it up. I went and looked it up. How many do you think it is? Like, you, you, want, you want me to give you a percentage? No, I want you to guess total number, not a percentage, a total number of unoccupied houses in the United States. Oh, my gosh. 330 million people. I'm going to assume four people to a house. That's less than 100 million houses. There's probably 80 million houses in the U.S. I'm going to say... 10% of that 8 million unoccupied houses in the U.S. Even with all of the scientific reasoning, it's 17. 17 million unoccupied no, I was homes. off by 10%. Not bad. You guessed half of the actual answer. You can also look at it that way. But the... Or 200% I mean, difference, so, right? That's one of those. Right, right. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, okay. 17, you know, million, 17 million unoccupied homes. 17 million buildings that no one's using that at one point in the history of this continent were wildlife habitat. That, that, that was my, that's what I did in my head, right? Like that's every time we build a new house, we're adding to that 17 million, not, not literally cyclically, but we are, um, and we're definitely losing habitat. You also, I've been involved in several informal research and polls asking hunters what's their biggest detriment hunting, you know, what, what's their biggest barrier from hunting like they used to or from going out and hunting, and it's land access, right? That's the, always the number one answer. Um, I'm a firm believer that about 75% of the time that's a cop-out, um, that they don't have great private land pristine access so they don't go hunting. Um, but I, I just, I read through this article and it made me think a lot. It made me, it made me wonder. It made me flash back to, you know, your justified defend Massachusetts last week in raising their, in raising their, some of their fees 
400% because of decline in participation? Is there really a decline in participation? Um, it made me think, made all those things go through my head. That's why I labeled it as my top choice. And I think that Nicole, if she's listening to this, would very much appreciate that. I think, I think she received a bunch of flack on this article. Uh, I don't know why that she would receive a bunch of flack, uh, but she, I think she did. Um, I, 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 you know, I think that they're in, they're definitely intertwined. We do have hunter numbers going down. We have a growing U.S. population that's becoming more urban than rural. That's probably a major factor in the fact that we're losing hunters. We have the whole baby boomer cycle that people are about to cycle out in terms of the numbers. We also have the public access, private land access issue that people, for one reason or another, cannot get access to areas to hunt. And that's a big deal. And those areas, and let's, and, 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 to her credit in the article, there's a compounding component here that the areas that, and here's where the, the spiral comes in, the areas that you can hunt may not be as good of a habitat condition any longer because there's a lack of hunters with lack of revenues being pumped into the system that allows that habitat to be restored and maximize the biodiversity on that habitat. Yeah, that's completely legit. Again, I didn't, uh, I liked this article because it made me think. I wasn't, I didn't agree with everything she said. I didn't have knowledge on some of the things she said, and I agreed with some of the things she said. But uh, it, it, it made me think. I 100% I, I believe that we as human beings are very, very wasteful. Um, and I'm a capitalist, probably a borderline industrialist. Um, but at the same time, it's literally embarrassing to me that there are currently 17 million unoccupied homes in the United States and multiple home builders in every, it's a thing that we have screwed up. We build way too many homes instead of renovating things. And every time you build a new home or subdevelopment, um, it may be some beetle or some mouse's habitat is all, but you're destroying wildlife habitat every single time you do that. Um, and when you have 17 million unoccupied ones, it's just like vehicles. My God, cars are just, it's ridiculous, right? And again, pot calling the kettle, I have two cars that are less than three years old sitting in my driveway I, i'm and but we're very very wasteful and we could be using a whole lot less of the land in this country than we are for just sleeping on the rabbit hole that you went down to find that piece of information of 17 million unoccupied homes you would have thought that that same rabbit hole would have told you how many were rural versus urban uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I'm not, I'm kind of a uh, find the rabbit hole, stick my head in, go look for another rabbit hole guy. Um, so you I just pulled the sure 17 million number and then walked away. Either way. I thought that that same rabbit hole would have told you how many were rural versus urban. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I'm not, I'm kind of a uh, find the rabbit hole, stick my head in, go look for another rabbit hole guy. Um, so you I just, just pulled sure the 17 million number and then walked away. Either way, either way, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, it's a gigantic number. It's a huge number. And so either way, it, it doesn't matter. I, I understand your point that if 16.5 million of them are on Manhattan Island, then it's less of a factor than if they're spread out all over some rural area. But either way, it's a huge number. It's stupid that we're building home rate. We are. Um, can we go to the Mountain Journal second from the bottom one on our list next? Yeah, go ahead. Very, very interesting article. It's very much centered on the Bozeman, Montana area. And it sucked me in. It's, a, it's an article in the Mountain Journal. 
I haven't been doing this and I like the idea by that by Todd Wilkinson. He's the guy who founded um, the mountain journal, by the way. Okay. I didn't know that, but Todd much credit. Your ar- article also made me think I will tell you that his subtitle is that what you call the group of words right below the title is mm-hmm. preface. I it guess was a book a I would call it. Preface. Um, it, I'm going to read it verbatim. The, the title of the article is The Question That None of the Greater Yellowstone Conservation Groups Are Willing to Confront. The subtitle or preface, sorry, Todd, I don't know what it's really called, is How is Industrial Strength Outdoor Recreation and Amenity Development Better Than the Resource Extraction It Is Replacing? So that sucked me in of the concept of I thought Todd was going to make this statement that so many people are going to the GY, going to the greater Yellowstone area for recreation or relocation or, you know, everything like tourists and people moving there. I thought he was going to make some kind of a comparison that the environment probably would have been better if we'd have left it alone, except for guys drilling oil. That's the way it made me. That's the way it made my brain think. Didn't really do that kind of a comparison, but did very much um, dabble in the, you know, that whole area. I believe he calls it the smallest uh, micro metropolitan. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The fastest growing micro metro in the country. It just made me think, Robbie, when does, when does a growing, we're definitely seeing a huge growth in outdoor, right. um, possibly Instagram driven, right? In some in some way, I think there's people doing it for great reasons. There's also people doing it for Instagram pictures. Um, there, there's, there's an environmental impact to that, right? I mean, if there's just more people in a place, there's bigger, there's more trash, period. That, I mean, and there's more water drank. There's more resources needed. Um, really, another article that I didn't come out of it feeling super informed, but are we, by encouraging all these people to get outdoors, like he says, are these conservation groups and these tourism groups in the greater Yellowstone area and obviously everywhere else, right? It's happening in Colorado too, where you see articles about just trashed national forests because there was, you know, a trail that prior to COVID had 80 people a day has 800 people a day. I totally made those numbers up, but I'm giving an example. Um, Is that a thing? Is, is, is all this encouragement of getting people outdoors, is there an environmental impact that we're not contemplating? Oh, there certainly is. And, it, you know, framing it in the hunting context, because he doesn't talk about hunting at all, right? He just talks about resource extraction from an aesthetics perspective and engaging perspective on the landscape. It's the same scenario when it comes to Africa. Ecotourism and resource extraction of the non-consumptive use is a volume model, is a volume-based business. It's a volume-based model. Ecotourism groups in Greater Yellowstone, they would not survive with one person or two people a day. They have to have 20 to 30 a day. That's how, because the ecotourist, the non-consumptive user, is not going to pay the price that a typical consumptive user will pay. And so at the end of the day, there's a conundrum there in that 
if you are willing to pay more, do you have more respect for the, for the place or not? You know, Colorado, funnily enough, Colorado, where you live, Fish and Wildlife Service Commission voted, and I believe it was passed, that people that in this COVID situation were entering state wildlife areas for free. Hunters and fishermen that had to enter into state wildlife areas had to pay a license fee. They had to have their fishing and hunting license. And I believe that they now anyone, regardless if you're paddle boarding or if you're backcountry hiking or if you're backcountry mountain biking, you have to have a hunting and fishing license on you to have paid for the, the use, the resource extraction that you are undertaking. Now, a lot of the non-consumptive users will say, we're not extracting any resources. Well, yeah, you are. You're causing, as you've mentioned, there's trash everywhere. There's use of the trails. There's going to be trail maintenance. There's going to be, you know, clearing of areas. There's going to be extra maintenance needed on the toilets, on the facilities, on everything. Because as you said, there's not four people using it any longer. There's 400 people now using it. And unfortunately, 300 of them aren't paying as much as the four were paying. Right. And, and in fact, a lot of times paying nothing, not, 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 not Yellowstone, for example, but like you said, with the state wildlife areas. And to be clear, in Colorado, the state wildlife areas are a separate set of units. There's state parks, state grounds. The state wildlife areas were set aside for almost exclusively hunting. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of the waterways are dedicated to state wildlife areas um and they were they're completely funded by portions of hunting and fishing licenses so you're correct in colorado if you want to go on to a state wildlife area for any purchase any purpose i believe you have to have one or the other a fishing license or a hunting license That's yeah stuff. it's a it was just another it was just another thing that made me think you segued into exactly what i thought about it um I am a, my, my dad is maybe one of the largest Yellowstone National Park fans in the entire world. I think he could go head to head um, on knowledge of Yellowstone with anyone in the world who's not a professional, anyone who's in the world who's not paid to be a tour guide up there. Um, and, and so I went there a lot as a kid, been there multiple times since, and I absolutely love it. But it genuinely bothers me the amount of and the sheer stupidity of some of the people um in Yellowstone I mean just you know if if a moose stands up on the side of the road next thing you know there's a thousand cars and 50 of those people have walked a quarter mile off the road to be 80 yards from the moose um well, that situation and, you know, happens I mean, in South Africa. Yeah, okay, we can't get out the cars because we have things like lions and leopards and stuff like that and elephants that will kill you. But yeah, you'd go to a national park. I remember as a kid, you'd drive around and you would wait for a couple of cars to be parked somewhere because you knew something was there. And then it would become a right. circus. And I don't know what you do. Like, if it came on the ballot, to make it be $200 a day per person to get into Yellowstone, I would vote yes. And then I would start a foundation for scholarships to selectively get people in that couldn't afford. Like, I, I, I don't, I genuinely want everyone to have access to that place. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna ruin places like that. Um, that's a pretty radical viewpoint, you know, making part of the, you know, me as an American landowner of these public lands pay for access to these public lands. Well, it's a national park, so you already have to pay. I mean, it's not, it's not free access to Yellowstone. Um, and what, but it's I don't have not to pay. I can drive through Yellowstone without paying. You have to pay for a national park permit, don't you? Yeah, I guess I, I, guess I never went into the actual quote-unquote national park. I guess I just skirted yeah, no. on the way up. You, you, have to, you have to have a permit, but you can get a $10 everyone-in-the-car permit 
per day or something. I made that up too, but it's very, very, it's nominal. <laughs> um, I don't know what it really is. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, if we don't respect it, we're going to ruin it. Um, and the same thing is, you know, COVID has shown even with, I mean, you know, you think about, I live in a very unpopulated part of Colorado and I'm a hundred yards from 300,000 acres of public ground. Like I got a, I could throw a rock from my property across the neighbor's driveway into the San Isabel national forest. Um, but COVID showed in multiple places, these huge places were just destroyed and trashed um, because so many people going out there. I, I don't understand that at all. Um, but I also, the, the, the point of the article was more so, are these structured efforts that we're doing to, A, part of it in, in Bozeman is just like economic development of the metropolitan area, right? Like they're encouraging people to move there. The people that are moving there are selling a house in California to where they have room to buy 60 acres that a fire truck can't get through. So the resources expended to protect that home go through the roof. There's all kinds of those factors. Um, but at the same time, the outdoor recreation and the toll that it has. Um, again, I guess that's two in a row that I don't really have anything concrete to say about. It's just a conversation that I think we should have and continue to have and, and keep an eye on. Cool. All right, I'm going to head us over across the pond. Uh, I think we've only got a couple more left. I'm going to go across the pond to the UK. This was brought to my attention this week. You know, one of the things that gets leveled against hunters a lot is that um, we're causing pain in animals, right? When we hunt them, when we kill them, uh, when we wound them. Um, uh, let me retract the wounding part, but when we hunt them, when we shoot them. And so one of the ways that you can measure the stress-induced response of something in animals post-death is cortisol. Cortisol is the thing that you, that you can measure stress on. And so you would, you're making the assumption, the correlation, that the more stress of an animal is put into a situation, the higher the cortisols, and thus you can assess different scenarios. So I sent a bunch of articles this week and actually, a, there's a, a master's student in the UK right now looking at different cortisol levels. Because oh, in the UK, they have a bunch of deer species, they have a bunch of game stalkers, and there's a lot of opportunity to gather blood samples very quickly and efficiently. And so I ran across this one paper called Cortisol Response of Wild Ungulates to Trauma Situations. Hunting is not necessarily the worst stressor. No, I wouldn't. I mean, well, it's almost silent. the proof, right? It's the proof. We we talk about prove it, prove it, prove it. We say we have instantaneous deaths, or the the animal really doesn't know that they're dying. It's just a a blood loss scenario that they faint and they they pass away or, or they die. Um, and that's what this is showing. That this is you know the deer and the roe deer lower cortisol levels when shot in a stalking type scenario, higher cortisol levels when hunting with dogs, um, much higher cortisol levels when entanglement, vehicle collisions, injuries, disease over stalking, shooting, hunting. I mean, it makes sense. It, it makes sense. It's the same thing. Here's my response. I probably get three or four times a month when, as I deal with the blood origin social media. We, we probably get three or four times a month someone attacking hunters for using guns and compound bows. Their, their mindset being we're we continue to technologically advance to make it easier to kill the animal. And then, and then this person's mindset were lazy cheaters for doing that. Right. Um, and I, this week, no, I'm sorry. Last week, late last week, I responded to one of those comments saying, 
So would you be okay if we just used spears and knives, right? And what I'm trying to do there is figure out, when I, when I respond to someone like that, and, and I'm trying to figure out, are they completely opposed to hunting and the harvest of animals for meat? Or are they, do they just think we're cheating by using rifles? that can shoot him from a distance. And he came back, yes, absolutely. I would have no problem with that if that's the way you did it. And I said, you realize that you just chose probably the most inhumane and painful way for the animal for us to get them dead. That's the last playing field, right? Right, right. In, in his mind it is, but... I don't, and, and, you know, I guess I can even see the argument, you know, absolutely technology. We don't work near as hard eat on our table as our ancestors did 500 years ago. That's, that's a true fact, right? I mean, even us as hunters that are going and taking it because, you know, I can shoot a deer from 200, 300 yards away. I can do that. But it, it blew my, like, I, like I thought I had him. Like, I thought I had him hook, line, and sinker, and he's like, yes, I would be better if you stuck it with a bunch <laughs> of spears, and it took you, you know, an hour and a half of launching spears at it and sticking multiple spears in it to get the animal dead. A hundred percent modern firearms, you know, if you hit the vital area with a modern firearm on an animal there is not going to be a lot of cortisol. They just don't have the time to suffer enough to create that stress, that stress induced reaction. All right, let's do one more. So we've got a couple of choices. We've got the elk management issue, the HB, uh, what's it? 5025 or something like that in Montana, elk management and private lands. Uh, we can tackle the Massachusetts fishing license thing again, if you'd like, since I dominated you last week on that. <laughs> um, we can leave that alone. What about there's Mexican wolves? We've also got some Mexican wolves. And then obviously we've got the whole wolf management, Cyril Cristo on the hill making his viewpoint. And then did you see the Michigan wildlife biologist retort? Yes. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Why don't we finish off with wolves in the upper peninsula michigan and wisconsin i know we talked about it last week but let's talk about these two specifically when i threw it up there i think at some point uh cyril christo may uh he in and of himself might just be a topic <laughs> very there's no doubt very, very uh he's got an in the hill love him because he publishes you know, he did the whole trophy hunting piece in Africa. He put two pieces out there, and now he's done the whole wolf management thing. And his, look, I'll give him one thing. His freaking headlines are very well thought out. Like this one, never decry wolf. They deserve our protection, not management, quote, unquote. Sort of playing on the world, you know, don't cry wolf kind of deal. There's a line in this article that says, let's admit it. We need a scapegoat for humanity's wickedness and cruelty, and who better to pick on than the wolves? Really? It's, we, we don't want to get into a poetry writing contest with Cyril. He will smoke us. Oh, he uses quotes. He is very, very eloquent in his... He always used quotes. Um, like the last... The end, he ends the, the articles saying this, and this is what happened. And this is why the caribou and the wolf are one. For the caribou feeds the wolf, but is the wolf that keeps the caribou strong. How can you argue with that? <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's very, uh, like I said, it would be like getting into a literary contest with Hemingway. He's, he's, a, he's a much more, he's very, he has an incredible vocabulary. And just... He, did, he had a lot better grades in literature than he did in science. Yeah, his facts are non-existent. He's just playing right. on full verbose vocabulary 
very flowery, eloquent phraseology to just woo you to understanding that, yes, you're right. So then we had the article of the Michigan wildlife biologist, Jim Hamill. He's a retired Michigan Department of Natural Resources wildlife biologist for 50 years. And he talked about how the, the headline of his article, same place, the hill and the opinion, uh, management of Michigan's wolves should be turned over to the state. Now, both you and I are on the same page when it comes to wolves. We are pro-wolf, but we are pro-wolf management. And uh, it's just like John Bear last night on, on a podcast with me talking about coyote management. We're not, I don't think that hunters value deer over wolves or deer over coyotes. I think hunters value diversity, but they also value proper management and wanting to see the, the animals that they desire on the landscape. Um, and that there is mother nature, given the fact that humans have interacted with most ecosystems in varying degrees and, and, and over a very gradient. There is a need for management. There's a need for management of all species, all big game species that have an impact on the environment. And that includes predators. But it does not mean that we do not want to see a single predator on the landscape. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And we're pro-state pro management. I will, I'll add that gonna, piece in there. I'm going to devil's advocate you a little bit. And maybe... Oh, devil's advocate me. I got hammered about me being a devil's advocate all freaking week because I, I somehow believe that I need to hold hunters to a much higher standard. And thus, I'm a, I push them with questions. And I was told that I am not for hunters because I do that. So yes, please, devil's advocate me. I was going to be the devil's advocate, not accuse you of being it. You said that hunters don't value deer more. You know, you said everything I said that you said, I agree with that hunters want to see diversity hunters, but that's not entirely true, right? We've seen in our own comments, we've seen people calling themselves hunters use the phrase, kill them all about wolves, right? We, we have it on our social media from people claiming, I completely disagree with that. Um, I've seen wolves in the wild, and it's one of about 10 things I've ever seen in the wild that sent a chill down my spine and made the hair. I, I loved it. It was incredible. I want to be able to see wolves. I want future generations to be able to see wolves. The thing to me is, why is this the one damn thing? With all of the success of the United, I just, the, the North American, the, with all of our successes in the last hundred years in letting our biologists and state agencies manage game, right? And someone's going to say, but you killed all the wolves off, right? Before, before that, we killed all the wolves off, trailing into it a little bit. We were still not doing great with understanding predator management. But when, why is wolves the thing that when the biologists say, okay, they need to be managed, they're wrong about? Like why it's, why is, it's really nothing else in the United States, right? Like there's very little pushback about we need to manage our deer herds. We need to manage our, and I'm, I'm going to flip this back around because I think a bunch of that is because we as hunters aren't holding everyone. When, when on our, we have a pretty middle ground site, right? Like we, we're not an extremist one way or the other political, but when people on our social media are saying, kill them all, part of that causes the overreaction from the other side of save them all. We can't kill anyone. We can't kill any of them. Right. Um, but, there's that's the conundrum in it is is it's such a and it's really also you know for the most part it's the only animal we have in the united states minus minus the bear 
that people wrote a whole bunch of fairy tales about them eating little kids, right? I mean, there's this weird, probably unjustified, not that you shouldn't be caused around a pack of wild wolves. They have that capability, but it's probably unjustified for human fear to be one of our top driving factors. Um, well, no, I think it is because I think that, you know, I don't know if you, have you ever read David Guaman's Monster of God? You've heard me talk about this book before. No, I've never read it. I've heard you talk it's, about it. It's just tied to the, the fact that the world has alpha predators and he doesn't use wolves as an example, but he uses Siberian tigers and the gear lions of India and the, the, the brown bears of the Carpathian mountains in Romania and how humans are just intrinsically linked to alpha predators. And whether that is tied to a primal instinct tied to who we were, that we were competing for the same prey thousands of years ago, and that's still buried in our DNA, which it is, it, that may be part of it. Is it. There's the other thing that predators are predators, right? The whole wolf argument, the fact that you have people love it so hard and hate it so hard is the same with lions, is the same with mountain lions is the same with bears it's it, it it doesn't matter the predator it's just something about a predator and maybe it's the fact that humans are predators themselves and there's this competition there's this sort of primordial competition that you just can't put your finger on but it's there and you feel like a kindred spirit and people and, and maybe that's it that, that there's this kindred spirit that some people feel it more in the competent competent comp competitive type scenario and that's why they hate him and others feel like that's part of their spirit animal and it's tied to where they've come from and and i'm not knocking any anybody who has you know wolves as, as a spirit animal but maybe that's why there's such the divide when you start philosophically breaking down why wolves as you asked what's you know why wolves not deer or squirrels or feral hogs I think all of that's true. I think it's all a small percentage of it. And I think a really large percentage of it is the propaganda and the millions of dollars that animal rights extremists have made off the wolves in the, because, because, because the 1995 ES or the 1995, uh, when they put the wolves back in the greater Yellowstone area, it was a gigantic success story, right? Like a massive, massive conservation success story. And in the, in terms of wolves in, in an individual microscope, just the wolves, it was a gigantic success story, but the animal rights activists have pounded us, pounded the entire world, everyone, with with the propaganda about how everyone wants to kill all of the wolves, they've made them a martyr. Um, and I think that's the biggest part of, I think for every hundred people claiming the wolf is their spirit animal, HSUS and Defenders of Wildlife convinced 98, 98 of those hundred to make them their spirit animal so that they would give them $25 a month to save the wolf. Um, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I don't want to get political, but I do have in-depth knowledge of the inner workings of how much money they raised over the wolf and how very little of it did a single animal any good. I think that's why the wolf is such a big deal. Right. Well, let's, let's stop it right there. Um, let's remind folks that obviously we have a supporters program, unlike HSUS. <laughs> You'll know right where the money goes. We're very, very transparent about it. And there's a bunch of stuff on the line. Uh, this month is a giveaway for a five-day safari. Impala, Bless Buck, Blue Vildebeers trophy fees included. Just show up in Joburg and everything else is taken care of. Uh, we've got Broadheads. We've got Kuyu gift card, 200 buck Kuyu gift card. We've got a bunch of Australian-specific swag that's going to Australian-specific uh, specific supporters. Uh, we have obviously a discount code for every single person who becomes a supporter and that's all for the cost of a cup of coffee. Uh, so please join us, help us, help us continue to do this thing that we love to do for you. Uh, next week, 
we are changing this format up. We seem to just change constantly, which is good, I guess. Ever evolving, uh, evolving, ever evolving. We will have Jana Waller uh, as a guest commentator um, on the podcast on this roundup. And so we'll ask her what her opinion is on these different articles that we have brought forward today. Obviously, we have a bunch more articles that we didn't get to today. Um, any closing thoughts? No, I'm excited to be able to talk to someone besides you, though. Damn it, man. Come on. I get hate from all sides. I need some support from you. I'm just going to throw you grief. I got your back. All right. I love it. Next week. Cheers. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.